the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finn, and we have got a treat for you. In this half hour of the show, we're going to be bringing back noted author Mark Podwal, who has written a book. This is a re-release of a book he wrote a long time ago, but it's brand new, A Jewish Bestiary. Fabulous Creatures from Hebraic Legend and Lore. This is this is a book. You could give this book away for like a bar mitzvah present if you're a person or a kid who's so sexually inclined. In the second half hour of the show, we will be talking about the portion of Mishpatim. can be found in the book of Exodus chapter 21 and following. We've got a really um, insightful Hasidic story. I'd say stay here all the way for the end. Music throughout. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. Our first story, even though it doesn't have much significance as far as ramifications, but I put it up first because this is like, really, they did that? So here goes. The U.N. General Assembly adopted an Israel-sponsored resolution that condemns denial of the Holocaust. Imagine that. They actually did something right. The resolution, co-sponsored by Germany and backed by the United States, Russia, and many other countries, affirms that the Holocaust will forever be a warning to all people of the dangers of hatred, bigotry, racism, and prejudice. Palestinian terrorists trying to stab an IDF soldiers at the Erez Junction in the West Bank. The sh- soldiers shot and killed the attacker. Israel and Germany signed an agreement worth close to a billion dollars. Under the agreement, Israel will buy submarines from Germany over the next nine years. Israel's consumer price index rose three-tenths of a percent in December, with housing rising 10%. It means rents went up that much. That's a lot. 
Israel's inflation rate is currently 3%. Speaking of rising, it rained four inches in parts of Israel, causing flooding in Lud and Petach Tikva. To Kinneret, the Sea of Galilee, Israel's main reservoir, is now five and a half feet from the full line. And finally, in this, like, believe it or not story, which we try to end off with, listen to this one. Custom officials at Israel's Ben-Gurion Airport found live queen harvester ants in a shipment of mezuzahs to China. Like, first of all, why are they shipping mezuzahs to China? That would be my first thing, which is why I would think the custom agents would open up this box. The ants were taken back to their natural habitat in the Negev Desert. And why would anybody send harvester ants to China? This is the story that it has no end because that's it. It's out of the cycle. I don't know. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the -the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Finman here. We're listening to the Jewish Hour. Let's get this in a little bit up and uh, get our, our synapses going. This is God Albaz. The song is called Geula. Sholim 
God Alba is the song Geula, which means, of course, redemption, which we're praying for every single day. It's one of our core beliefs. We have online Dr. Mark Podwell. This is our third time having him on. We actually had him on, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, six months ago. But we're on. he's on again, another book. If you keep if we'll put up another book, another six months, we'll probably have on another six books. This one, A Jewish Bestiary. Fabulous Creatures from Hebraic Legend and Lore. How are you today, Mark? Fine, thank you for um, interviewing me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Like I say, you keep writing these books, we're going to keep on interviewing you. Well, I have four new books this year alone. Yes, uh, we did three of them, so, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, was, no, those were years ago. What was the fourth one? We did, uh, we did the, we're did. we doing this one, and we did the book, the uh, your collected paintings, and then years ago we did the, uh, the, the Prague book. So what were the other two right. books that we missed? Well, well, this year I did a collage of customs where I downloaded the woodcuts from the 1593 Sefer Menagim, and I collaged on images. For example, Falag Bomer, I collaged on a hair blower. Oh, for okay. uh, baking matzah, I added a um, a microwave, and it was published by Hebrew Union College Press, and the prints will be exhibited at the Skirball Museum in Cincinnati cool. beginning next month. That's really good. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to see about getting our hands on a copy. So, okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get you a copy. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, so this this title is actually, I don't want to say it's a redo or a remake, but you did this a long time ago. You sat down and drew a bunch of pictures of creatures from the Bible and Jewish lore. What was your impetus way back when in the 1980s to uh, to do this, Mark? Well, what happened was my editor at uh, Summit Books, Simon & Schuster, had recently um, met with Adin Steinsolz, his um, a PR guy or associate or agent, and he mentioned that Adin Steinsolz was interested in doing the Jewish pastiary, but it turns out that Adin Steinsolz decided not to do it so my editor suggested that I do it. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so it was published by the Jewish Publication Society in black and white, because in those days I only drew in black and white. 
but since ni- and that was in 1984. But since 1994, when I started to work in color, um, I recently decided that I would like to redo the whole book in color, adding nine more creatures. And between 1984 and now, the original version was published in Italian, German, Czech, and Polish. So there had been interest in Europe in the book. And when I saw that my publisher, Penn State University Press, which had published my uh, illustrations to Heinrich Heine's Hebrew Melodies and did a superb job, I saw that in their catalog they were publishing a pre-Columbian bestiary. So I, I asked if they want to do this book now in color, and they agreed, and they did a beautiful job. It is. Like I said in my intro, which you were not online for, but I said this makes this book makes a wonderful barbot mitzvah present for anybody who would be interested in, in having such a thing. No, thank you. Actually, the book launch was at the Metropolitan Museum Library, and the head of the Metropolitan Museum Library said that it's the perfect gift. There you go. Just plain. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay, indeed. Okay, so now, what was your uh how, how did you go about doing this how did you go about collecting you have here uh i didn't count how many there are. it looks like i think about it's 30, about 35 i was gonna say about 35 35 yeah. different animals how did you come up with deciding that i mean did you go through like this would be like an incredible task especially 1984 of going through the entire corpus of jewish literature and kicking out saying that oh these are the 35 that exist so i know you well, didn't do that yeah, in those days it was around 25 or 26 because I added more for this book. What happened was there are some animals that are that are uh, that would have to be included, such as the great fish that swallowed Jonah, and then there are some that are very obscure that most people never heard about, such as the ziz, which is the huge bird equivalent to the behemoth and the leviathan. So there were some that had to be included and others which were more obscure if they had very interesting stories about them, such as the barnacle goose, then uh, I included them. And um, at the time, I was debating whether to include the phoenix and some other creatures, but then finally added them now for this volume. Okay, very interesting. So um, I'm just thinking, because I'm looking at the picture that that, um, one of them that... uh, like I just opened up at random, and every time I open up at random, for some reason, it comes to actually my favorite bird, which is the hopo. Is the it's actually oh the hopo. Yeah, it's my favorite word in Hebrew. It's absolutely my favorite well, word. It, well, the duchifas. Just say the word duchifas, and I fast, and I smile. So, <laughs> but there are well, twenty-three well, well, other hupo. birds that are mentioned right next to the duchifas that didn't get into the book. Well, the the hopo originally wasn't in the first edition, even though I did some drawings but then felt it had to be included in this edition. But some other birds that weren't included was, for example, the eagle, which, um, you know, there's the verse in Exodus, I will carry you on the wings of eagles. There just weren't enough interesting stories and descriptions to include the eagle. And so um, I didn't. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, given you know, you have the idea. Did you want to have like a whole page of writing for each picture? Is that what your goal yes. was? Yes. And in the the initial version, which I had to go to the actual books to find the source material, in this version, I had Google and the Internet. So the 
the texts are far more uh, inclusive, far more interesting, with obscure Talmudic sources, with obscure Kabbalistic sources, with obscure medieval sources. So it's a much more interesting text. Okay, understood. The Hopo, I don't know if you know it, it didn't say it in the text, if I didn't read it correctly, was actually named about 10 years ago as Israel's state National bird. bird. Yes, it's yes. a national, even though there are some 260-something species of birds in Israel. It's like one of the most populous bird places in the world. Uh, but the Hopo made out. That was the winner. And it's, it's a really cute bird. And like I say, I like saying it in Hebrew, Duchifas. Well, what happened was when I saw that it was the national bird, I felt I had to include it. There you go. Okay. So now, there's some really, um, I laughed at the picture of the gnat because you didn't draw a picture <laughs> of a gnat, which would have been in and of itself something because you're like, who even bothers looking at gnats? But describe to, for, for our listeners the, the whole backstory behind this picture, which is a picture of a headless man with a gnat just like hovering over the body. Well, actually, I had also done uh, several black and white drawings where I drew a close-up of a gnat and reflected in its eye of the Romans carrying away the menorah, which is the image on the Arch of Titus. So, so, so I had done some uh, other versions because initially I was going to collaborate with Cynthia Ozick who was going to write five poems about five animals. And she wrote a uh, poem, The Nato Tormented Titus. And so I illustrated that poem, so there were more illustrations. And th the reason why this is included is um, there's a very famous uh, Talmudic tale that after Titus destroyed the temple, he bragged about his power over God, and God told him, you know, when you arrive on dry land, I'll send the smallest creature, you know, for your punishment. And so for seven years, a gnat buzzed around in Titus's head. And finally, when he died, they opened up his skull and found a, uh, a creature the size of a, a bird, which then flew away. And the story says that when Titus died, his instructions before were to scatter his ashes over the four corners of the earth so the God of the Hebrews would not be able to bring him to justice. Okay, and then there's a sequel to that. You know the sequel? Yeah, I have a sequel in the book that I'd have to look up, but why don't you recite it? It, it says that God said, oh yeah, and so every day God sends the angel Gabriel to gather up his ashes and he gets judged and gets reburned again. Oh, that's very interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. Otherwise, I would have included it. Yes. So uh, I think it's from the same, it's that same piece of Talmud, or maybe it's one of the the uh, commentaries on the Talmud. But I, that's the way I remember learning it. Oh, that's very fascinating, and I love that. Yes. Okay. So some of the pictures are just straightforward. Some of them are comical. Some of them, I kind of want to know why. For example, did you put a talis, a prayer shawl, which seems to really fit? On the way you drew it, on an ostrich. Because the um, the reason that I use the ostrich is because it was believed that the ostrich hatched its eggs by meditating on it. And so ostrich eggs were hung in synagogues in Svat and other places. And um, 
So I wanted to draw the, and, and so it was said that um, hanging these ostrich eggs symbolized uh, the devotion of prayer and what prayer could do. So I drew the ostrich praying, covering its head with a tallit, similar to the idea that the ostrich head is buried in the ground. And it turned out that was the favorite among the favorite drawings in the book and was on the cover of the black and white edition. Oh, okay. That would be interesting. Okay, so... Um... And actually, when I drew it, I had my wife pose for it by uh, draping my tallied over her head so I could see how it folded. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So <laughs> did you use models for any of your other no, drawings? No, no. These no. are all just off the top of your heads. Uh, well, this from source material, you know, what the what are, what these creatures look like. Okay. So let's let's talk about, for example, the mythical creature, the phoenix. Does people aren't aware that it's a biblical legend. Some people think, I don't know where they think it's from, but it is a biblical legend. Let's talk about the phoenix and what it does. Well, it's from the book of Enoch, it's mentioned. Mm -hmm. And um there there are legends in in uh that its wings are huge and protect uh, the earth from the uh, harmful rays of the sun. But the idea of the phoenix uh, living a thousand years and then being reborn made its way into uh, Christian bestiaries. The bestiary was the most popular book in medieval uh, times, secondary to only the Bible, and the phoenix represented the resurrection of Jesus. What I did here for this drawing in the black and white edition, it wasn't in the initial version, but I then included it in the uh, in the Czech and Polish versions. And in that, I just had the phoenix with a medieval Jewish hat on its head. But what I did in the color version, I drew the phoenix standing on its own gravestone. So the image of the phoenix is on the gravestone itself, and that image of the phoenix is based upon how the phoenix was drawn in the, in the, as the symbol of the Sephardic community in Amsterdam, where this phoenix was used representing rebirth of the Sephardic community after their expulsion from Spain. Fascinating. Fascinating. Our guest today is Dr. Mark Podwell. We're discussing a Jewish bestiary, fabulous creatures from Hebraic legend and lore. It's a wonderful book. I recommend it highly. Three thumbs up if I had three thumbs. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> so, um, the lion. Okay. The, there, I don't know how many synagogues there are in the world that don't have a lion somewhere, like on, usually on the Torah curtain or on an ark cover or a, uh, a, even a Torah scroll cover. Um, why, why is the lion such a symbol in, in Judaism, Mark? Well, it's it, the, the symbol of the tribe of Judah was the lion. So um, it's, it's maybe based on that. I'll tell you an interesting story. In around 1994, I was asked to design the parochet for Temple Emmanuel on Fifth Avenue, which is the largest synagogue in the world. So I did the design, and I included two lions, and the the rabbi just didn't want the lions included. And um, the architect liked them very much and said to include them. So 
so I drew, I added the lions to the design, and the rabbi said, okay, I'll compromise. You can have the lions, but don't have their mouths open, which is how it usually is portrayed. So I, so I said, if you know, if I draw them with their mouths closed, somehow to me it looks like they need dentures. So I'm keeping them open, and that's what happened. Hey, so the rabbi lost all the way around. Hey, it's not. Well, it's yes not a, no. <laughs> it's not atypical, but it was a win-win situation because he did get this beautiful uh, arc cover there. Okay, so um, one creature which I was hoping you would have in here something a little bit about was something which I recently discovered was a which is something referred to in the Mishnah. It's in the. I think it's in the Mishnah, maybe it's in the Talmud, is something called the Dolphinium, which, as soon as I saw it, said, oh, dolphin. But it's very interesting. And how is the dolphin described? In, it's described as a fish that gives birth to its live, to live young and nurses them. But the earlier commentaries, like the, the from the, excuse me, the commentaries from like the Middle Ages that were in Europe and Northern Europe and France, these places, they didn't have access to the Mediterranean or the Red Sea, and it seems like their interpretation was a mer person, like a mermaid or mer, merman. Did you not come across such a thing in your? Uh... I, I never heard of it before. Okay, there I should go. have consulted with you. There you go. <laughs> Next time. Yeah. Next time, yes. Could, yes, absolutely. You could write it down. It's Masech de Bukhara's page 8. It's just like made such an impression on me. I remembered the uh, the page. There's a uh, a whole discussion between uh, our, a, a rabbi of the Mishnah and the, uh, and the uh, scholars of Athens as to which philosophy is greater, Greek or Hebrew, which is also very fascinating because it's all cryptic and in riddles. Okay, so... Um, I could ask you, do you have a favorite picture? Just like, you know, is that like asking which is your child is your favorite one? Yeah, the, the answer is which is your favorite child, the one who needs you the most. The, um, it's hard to say. If, if I really didn't like a picture, I wouldn't include it. Among the most popular is um, the, the swine, which is uh, the image that I did is the... Um, the the, the she-wolf with Romulus and, Ro, and Remus uh, being uh, nursed by the she-wolf, where the shadow of the Roman she-wolf is the pig, because often in the Talmud it refers to the pig as that thing. It doesn't even it um, it, it it refers also to Rome as the swine. So um, that's why its shadow is the swine. That's interesting. Also, okay, I noticed. Everybody, everybody and their uncle, which is probably why you didn't do it, but everybody depicts, when they pick, have a picture of the dove, they have a picture of a olive branch in its beak because that's like became the symbol sure. of peace and it's like the symbol of the UN. It's a, you, Mark, decided to put a dove holding a rainbow in its beak. So could you explain that one, please? Well, in the first version... I had the dove holding a uh, a Ramon from the Torah, one of the Ramonim from the Torah, because the Torah is a tree of life, and I thought having the uh, one of the Ramonim in its beak instead of the uh, typical olive branch was a more interesting image. But then when I did this book in color, and I had the opportunity to use color, I thought the dove with a rainbow in its mouth would be a much more striking image. 
when for 40 years I drew for the New York Times op-ed page. And what the Times initially insisted was that the drawings not be literal interpretations of the article. They, sh they should enhance the meaning of the article by drawing something uh, else that was a metaphor or whatever. So that's why I try not to do literal interpretations, literal illustrations. And I thought the dove with a rainbow in its mouth was would be a very striking image. Indeed, because it's now it's the dove, which is at the symbol of peace, but also the rainbow, which is the symbol of God's covenant that exactly. going to destroy the world again. That is exactly. really awesome. Okay, Thank so um, like we said, we, we inferred before, there are other creatures in the Bible that are uh, not included in this wonderful work, A Jewish Bestiary, Fabulous Creatures from Hebraic Legend and Lore. Are you thinking it might come out with a third edition, Mark? No. <laughs> Simple. That was too quick. <laughs> no, I'm on to other things. My latest series that I just did, well, also one of the four new books that came out, one was The Tale of a Nagun, which is a poem by Elie Wiesel that was published. Yeah, we had, oh, by, that's one we had on uh, six weeks ago. That's the one we had on of you, yes. Or six months ago, yes. Oh, I, and, um, right, and so, and another one was an atlas of Jewish space with 139 of my pictures that was with a text by Holocaust scholar Robert Jan van Pelt, published in collaboration with the Holocaust, the Babanyar Holocaust Memorial Foundation. But my latest series that I just did is I drew 25 Polish synagogues, most of which have been destroyed, and I drew them as ritual objects. For example, I drew the great synagogue of Warsaw as a spice box. I, grow, I drew the synagogue of Lvov as a, because it has a dome top as an esrog container. I drew a synagogue as a, uh, a tzedakah box. That's the synagogue from Dembrova Bielostowska, where my mother was from. And in Dembrova Bielostowska, I was asked to design a 20-foot mural on its Jewish history that will be painted on the side of a high school outside wall and copied from my design by a Polish muralist. So different projects come along that I didn't expect, and that's uh, that's very moving to me, to have a 20-foot mural in my mother's birthplace. Indeed, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Okay, we have to wrap it up for this segment of the show, but Mark, this has been fascinating. We appreciate so much you taking the time and coming in and enlightening us. And uh, again, the book is A Jewish Bestiary, Fabulous Creatures from Hebraic Legend and Lore by Mark Podwell, and it is published by, it's not on the spine, sorry. Penn State University Penn State Press. University Press, and available wherever you get your Jewish books from. So thank you so much. And, sure, uh, th and this was fascinating for me, the material that you gave me that I didn't know about. That's my pleasure. So um, we'll, we'll stay in touch, and the next, whatever tome you produce next, we'll have you back on again. Thank you very, very much. Okay, take care. Thank you very much. Bye. Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. 
That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Let's listen to some music. This is, I, I thought I knew a lot of Klezmer songs, but I guess I don't know them all. This is the Klezmatics, who are there just like synonymous with Klezmer music at this point. They've been producing uh, discs and records uh, probably for more than 40 years already in this country and probably like the best known Klezmer group in the world. This one is recently done, and it's called Apikorsen, which means heretics.
We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. we got time for one more. Uh, this is actually a Simchas Torah song, and you might be wondering why am I playing a Simchas Torah. Simchas Torah happened in uh, early October. But it's a, first of all, it's a great song. And the lesson of Simchas Torah is that you're supposed to be happy. And you're supposed to be happy with the fact that we're Jewish, we have a Torah. So you could do that all all the time. You don't have to wait for just one day a year. So... This is the Malchus Choir, and the song is called Simchus Torah.
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital, the same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. This week we will be breaking the portion of Mishpatim in the synagogue. It is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 21 and following. We're done with Bible stories until May. Sorry. There's a little bit of a Bible story there in the portion of Shemini. But for the most part, it's we're into the law, the legal part of the of the Torah. It is very interesting that in the last week's portion, it basically ended with the... Ten Commandments. Now, there's, there's magnanimity for you. There's pageantry. God knows how to put on a good show. Pardon me for saying so. They even made movies out of it. This is like this is this is like big stuff. So you would think that if we're going to go now and segue into commandments, Jewish law, you would segue into some of the more ethereal things. Like, say, the commandment of saying Nishma, which is our declaration that there's one God. Because, after all, the first commandment is believe in God. Well, then, you know, maybe something which is, uh, if, if it's not going to be such a ethereal thing, so then how about the commandment of learning Torah? Because, after all, they just got the Torah. And then, or maybe... The commemorative commandments, listen, you just got the Torah, but remember that you left Egypt, and then start going in with the commandments that are because we left Egypt, the tzitzes, the tefillin, the uh, the mezuzahs, etc., all those things. And no. It's a good thing that I didn't design the Torah, because I would have come up with a really bad plan. The Almighty said, wait, okay, you just got the show. You just got the pageantry. I mean, the way it's described, I mean, even just without going into the commentaries, just just read chapter 19 of the book of Exodus. And just it's like, whoa. Now we come down really quick. What do we get into? Civil laws. How to run a society. Very simply put. What's it all about? Torah and Judaism is not about flying up in the sky. The expression in Yiddish is chopping malachim, grabbing the wings of angels. That's, That's not what Judaism is. Judaism is, like right down here, 
I mean, we understand uh, the famous story with Hillel when he was asked, the verse that he quotes is not in this week's portion, it's in the middle of the book of Leviticus, when he asks to convert, the potential convert candidate asks him, I'll convert if you can tell me the t- entire Torah as I stand on one foot. And he said, that which is hateful to you, don't do to anybody else. So boiling it all down, what's the whole purpose of Judaism and the Torah is the physical world, making this world as good as a possible place that it can be. And that includes in it, for example, well, back then, so it was normal to have slaves. Now it's politically incorrect. And uh, there's a movement, for example, to uh, change the name of Brown University because the Browns who were in, made their money with rum running from the Caribbean also dealt in the slave trade. And so, but back then it was like, well, that's, that, that was considered moral back then. So the morality of slaves has changed uh, over the last couple hundreds of years. But in biblical times, people had slaves. So now the Torah has to come and say, for example, you're going to have slaves. You have to be humane. You have to take care of them. These people are people. They are your slaves. And the way that it comes out, the understanding is that people are actually lining up to be slaves to Jewish people because they got three squares, they got treated fairly, something which probably they never received in their own homes. So to them it was like an, an up. Now I'm, you might say I'm just like uh, trying to justify the concept of slavery and treating people as chattel, which is what they were. They were sold and traded, etc., and kept for generations, inherited, etc. And uh, But if you're going to do it, if that's what the morality of the times are, you have to do it in a Jewish way. You have to do it in a Torah way. Even such a thing has to be done in a Torah way. And the Torah mentions that right on the top, that how should all these things be? Rashi includes the line, the, the primary commentary on the, the Torah, that these laws should be in front of you, kishulchan aruch, like a set table. And indeed, the Jewish code of Jewish law is called the Shulchan Aruch, the set law. That just like you know, when you sit down at a table and you have a plate, you know what the plate is for. And you know what a spoon is for. You might not know that this spoon is for the grapefruit and this spoon is for the tea and this spoon is for the soup and this goblet is for water and this goblet is for white wine and this one's for... But you learn. And then when you learn it, you'll see it's all there right in front of you. That's the way our interpersonal relations have to be like a set table it's all laid out in front of us and i guess all you got to do when you're sitting at a set table sit down and eat and so go do it speaking of going and doing it we've got to take a quick commercial break we've got a great hasidic story for you don't go away you're listening to the jewish hour hi this is Spex howard the Spex howard school of media arts is proud to have been a sponsor of the jewish hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. 
Hershelson here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? Go to my website. That's if you're not listening to the to the show on the website, RabbiFinman.com. In which case, you got to wait if you want to contact me, which is on the contact page. As soon as you click off the contact, as soon as you click off the radio page, it stops. And I haven't tried it to see if it picks up where you left off or not. So, so it's a little bit of a hassle. So listen to the end of the show and then contact me. You can save your question for then. But if you're listening on any of the other many platforms, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then while you're listening there, you can go to RabbiFinman.com and you can contact me, especially if you have a question, something that was said, you want to get in touch with something, you, you have a request for some music, anything like that at all. There's also lots of other things on RabbiFinman.com and our sister website, JewishFerndale.com, where we... That's where we do our stuff, and uh, the Jewish Hour and Jewish Ferndale are both part of an umbrella organization and uh, here to make Judaism interesting, exciting, and fun, and hope you do take and take advantage of it and of us. That's what we're here for. There's also the donations page. We are getting around towards the end of January, and we have December yet to pay for and January. So if we could please help, if you could please help, uh, go to the donations section of either JewishFerndale.com or RabbiFinman.com. If you go to JewishFerndale.com, we currently are running our mega raffle. We do this on a yearly basis. First prize is $100,000. Tickets are $100, two for $180, and they get cheaper the more you buy. I think if you wanted to buy 50 tickets, it's 1800 bucks. What a bargain. So do that, and it's $100,000 is the prize, and there's second prizes and third prizes, too. Uh, that's February 7th that you have to have that in by, so please take advantage of that. But if you don't feel like doing raffles, you don't want to spend $100, okay, I understand. So give $5, give $10, anything helps, everything helps. It all adds up, okay. and uh, if you want to do $5 a month, that's also a good thing. We have lots of people who do $5 a month, and it's automatic because it's all set up that way to make your life easier. So do that today because you've been listening to the show for pretty close to an hour. You've enjoyed it, or if you hadn't been enjoying it, you wouldn't be listening this much. So do that today. This story involves uh, a, I guess you could call him a friend of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. His name was Zalman Jaffe. And he came, he would come, he was lived in Manchester, and he would come periodically twice a year to visit the Rebbe. And uh, when he would come, so people would give him letters to give to the Rebbe, requesting for blessings and advice, etc. And he'd come with a whole pack, pack of letters. So when he came in for his private audience, he handed the Rebbe this pack of letters, and one of the letters was actually addressed to the Rebbe's wife. And so the Rebbe handed him this letter and said, when you uh, see the Rebbetzin, see his wife, you can give her the letter. And Zalman Jaffe said, but it's a request for a blessing. So the Rebbe said, kind of like smiled and said, she can also give blessings. After all, her, her uh, parenthesis, her father was a Rebbe, her grandfather was a Rebbe, her great-grandfather was a Rebbe. She could also give her blessings. So now Zalman Jaffe, who was a bit of a 
kibitzer. I mean, he was like a somewhat of a of a of a clown when it came to the Rebbe. Actually, he was one of the few people who could make the Rebbe make the Rebbe smile. Said if the Rebbe could give blessings and the Rebbe's wife can give blessings, what's the difference? So the Rebbe said, when I give a blessing, the person has to work. It's just like rain. If you have a field, if you want the rain to be of benefit, you have to plow the field, you have to clear the field, weed the field, sow the field, make sure that everything is in line. And then when it rains, so then the rain is a blessing. With the Rebbitson, you don't have to do anything. The blessings just come. So if it is, for example, that a person would like a blessing from the <laughs> from the Rebbe, you can, people do write to, uh, on behalf to the, uh, send letters to the grave of the Rebbe, and then these letters are placed on the Rebbe's grave. The, the uh, email is ohel, O-H-E-L, at ohel, O-H-E-L, Chabad, one word, C-H-A-B-A-D dot org. And they put in, for the subject line, you could put in for the Rebbe's wife if you want to send it specifically to her. And uh, people do do that. And not that they're praying to the Rebbe, but the grave of a righteous person is because they lived a life of purity and holiness. It's considered a portal straight to God. Um, This has been tried and and tested and tried and and proven. That's going to wrap it up for the show. I'm going to thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. On the roads you run, trying to find your way back home. Want to call your own to be alone, going tattered rags, wandering in foreign lands. There's a master plan, so. Take my hand, you're the son of kings, you're the child of Yosef's dreams, and you were born to royalty and honor. You're the daughter of queens, you're Queen Nestor's legacy. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.